want to preach a sermon. I've ministered chosen in Christ and uh, doctrine. I'll explain a little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna veer and if if you're uh, nervous about certain doctrines, I may make you a little nervous tonight. But I'm gonna get there and balance this out and bring some understanding about that. And I'll get to that more in in just a moment. Nobel Peace Prize is very famous. Most of you have heard about a Nobel Peace Prize. These are in different achievement areas for outstanding uh, achievement in literature, peace, economics, medicine, scientists. They were created by Alfred Nobel, who lived from 1833 to 1896. But Alfred Nobel actually is was famous before this for a very different thing of life. The Nobel Peace Prize came about as kind of a chance event. Nobel was, Alfred Nobel was most famous for inventing and making his fortune in explosives. He actually invented dynamite. The chance thing that happened is Nobel's brother died. And a newspaper ran a long obituary thinking it was Alfred Nobel. Believing he was the one who passed away. He had the opportunity that many of us will never have to actually read what people think about us, thinking we're already gone. What the what he read horrified him. The newspaper described him as a man who made it possible to kill more people more quickly than anyone else who had ever lived. He's the father of WMDs. Weapons of mass destruction. At that moment, Nobel realized two things. He realized how he was going to be remembered. And he realized this is not the way I want to be remembered. So he began to establish this reward. This award. And today, it is famous. And I understand it's political. And you can argue with who gets it and who doesn't. No, you know, I get all that. But the reality is that he changed it. And very few people understand the fortune that he made in dynamite is actually what finances the peace prizes that are given away. It's kind of ironic. But here's a man that could redirect his life. Who could realize, am I taking the right course? And make some alterations in his life. In the text we're going to read... Paul is going to mention the term chosen in Christ. And I believe that is an awesome privilege that you and I have. If you are born again, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have an awesome privilege in spiritual realms. Ephesians 1 Beginning of verse 3, all praises to God, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family and to bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. This he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. I want to think to you with you because this phrase that is used here in the New Living Translation is the phrase that it, uh, be even before he made the world. In the New King James and older translations, it is the term before the foundations of the world. And that term is used a number of times in the Bible. It, uh, it is a phrase, uh, it's a thought that, you know what, your life, your purpose is not an afterthought with God. It's not like, oh shoot, what am I going to do with him or her? I, I, I don't know. It's he had a plan and a purpose. The Life Application Bible says of this, Paul is saying that God chose us to emphasize that salvation depends totally on God. We are not saved because we deserve it, but because God is gracious and freely gives salvation. We did not influence God's decision to save us. He saved us according to his plan. Thus, there is no way to take credit for salvation or allow room for pride. The mystery of salvation originated in the timeless mind of God long before we existed. It's hard to understand how God could accept us, but because of Christ, we are holy and blameless in his sight. God chose us when we belong to him through Jesus Christ. God looks at us as if we had never sinned. All we can do is express our thanks for his wonderful love. That God said, you know what, I have a plan for you. And this is not just something that was accidental. Purpose or purposelessness is one of the greatest dilemmas of many people in this world. Especially among the youth. Young men are looking, young women are looking for their purpose. What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? John 17, 24, this is part of the prayer of Jesus in the garden. He says, Father, I want those who have you given me to be where I am. They can see all your glory because you, uh, you loved me even before the world began. He uses this term and he says, I want them to understand. He's praying for not only his disciples, he's literally praying for us. I'm praying you understand. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. Now, where you get a little bit of doctrinal uh, waving here is this is where, this is a major scripture of Calvinists. 
Calvinists will use this and say, see, God's plan, they'll use this, they'll use Ecclesiastes 6.10, everything has already been decided, it was known long ago what each person would be, there's no use in arguing with God about your destiny. And they'll use these scriptures and they'll say, see, we're chosen in Christ. Uh, those who aren't chosen, well, too, too bad. They're just going to feed the flames of hell. But to those who are chosen, you, it doesn't matter what you decide. And that's a dangerous place. But the extreme of any truth is also dangerous. God does have a plan. He has chosen you for that plan. That is why you are here tonight. I understand you made a decision. Right? Do I cry over the Patriots' loss or do I come to church? Right? You made a decision. And to your Bills fans, stop mocking me. But anyway, it's a bad season. You guys know all about bad seasons. And so anyway, life goes on, right? But the reality of this is that we make we made decisions. So there has to be then cooperation. First Peter 1.20, God shows him, speaking of Jesus, as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. That before God, before the foundation of the world, God knew it was possible sin entered the world. And he made a plan for your redemption. He made a plan that you, the sinful person you are, the things you don't want your mama to ever know you did, the things you don't want anyone to know you ever thought, he forgave you, he loved you, and he has a purpose for you. One person said of the will of God, it is certain people in certain places doing certain things at certain times. That God maneuvers and God works and God orchestrates. And there's a hand of God that is always at work that we may not always see or understand. And it's not always comfortable. He doesn't always tell us, you know what, you're going through this rough patch right now, but that's so I can bring you to a glorious place after that. This is why the word sin in the Bible, in the New Testament, it means literally to miss the mark. Paul says in Romans that not only have we all sinned, missed the mark of what God's purpose was, we fell short. I have mentioned I worked at a camp when I was a teenager. I taught kids how to sail. And I would go over to the archery range, and I hated the archery range. Because I, don't, I guess I didn't hold the bow right, but when I would l- release the, the string, it would always whack my forearm, and it, it would sting. And I was not good at it either. Like, I would be shooting, and I would go way over the mark and way short of the mark. I'd be lucky if I hit, the, hit just the general target, never mind the bullseye. Like, that was a good day. And I actually uh, bought a leather thing that you could put on your arm for archery and tried to stop that. And it just, it didn't work. And so I gave up on archery. My arm was bruised. And I'm like, that's it. I'm not doing that again. That's what the word sin means. You missed it. The purpose God had for your life, you missed it. Now, of course, you miss it if you 
steal and lie and commit adultery and, and worship idols and, and all of that. Of course you're going to miss it. If you're going to be drunk all the time, you're, you're, of course you're going to miss it. That's not what God, and we'll get to that in just a moment. It's purpose for your life. That's why it begins with being born again. That when you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, he comes into your heart, he saves you, he forgives you. But then he has a purpose for you. John 1, 20, uh, John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting in human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. God purposed that. You're born again with a plan of God for your life. An old chorus, I have a destiny, I know I shall fulfill. I have a destiny in that city on a hill. I have a destiny, it's not an empty wish. For I know I was born for such a time as this. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, even more important, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you, give, uh, you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God puts things in your heart. He's moving you towards certain areas of life. He's beginning, and this is a process uh, that he puts in there. He doesn't give it to you all at once. This is not simply talking about the elite Oh, that's for certain spiritual people, certain people who have reached a certain level. That is not what this is speaking of. Verse 3 of our text, all praises to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. God has made every resource of heaven available to you. There isn't anything he's holding back. He goes, yeah, to you? Good. To you? Mm, I don't know. You, uh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. It's not what it says. That this is available to all of us. Resources to do what God has called us to do. John fifteen sixteen. You did, not, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. These are the words of Jesus. And appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Now, people have taken that scripture and said, well, if I ask for lots of money and Mercedes Benz uh, and double neck guitars, uh, God's going to give them all to me, right? Because that's what I'm asking for. But what it really in context is, is what you need for the equipping to do what God has called you to do. He's going to give it to you. He's not going to hold back. He's not out to torment you. It's not the carrot on the stick that is the elusive, you can never reach it kind of thing. It is God planning and purposing 
Yes, difficulties and struggles will come, but the equipping for them. And he says, in our text, you are chosen in Christ. He makes a couple of interesting observations with that. Verse 4, even before the world began, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Love is the factor. When people fall in love, it changes how they act. Solomon says there's four things that are marvelous to me that I don't understand. Locusts, they march without a king. How a snake moves on a rock. How a ship moves in the sea. And how a man is with his young girl he loves. So these are mysteries to me. Love is an amazing, amazing understanding. Parents who love their children. You, there's, there's nothing you wouldn't do for your children if you love them. Nothing. Give them anything. Do anything for them. I'd give them a kidney to save their lives. You'd change in places with them. This is the hardest thing is, you know, some of you now are parents, your kids have gotten sick. And that, that breaks your heart, doesn't it? Like, I wish I could be sick and not my child. Love makes you sacrifice and not expect back. You do things. It's not like, okay, I, you know, it's, if you're married and you're keeping score of wh- who did what and who owes who what and you do more than, you, you kind of miss the point. It's about love. Ephesians three eighteen and 19 That you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. That you may experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. That you may be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. John, the apostle, he writes it this way, 1 John 4, 17 through 19. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so that we will not be afraid on judgment day, but we can face with confidence because uh, because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is fear of punishment that shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. Love changes everything. Your love for God, then it's not a drag to give or sacrifice, it's a privilege. It's a glorious time. Not only is the love of God a motivator 
for being chosen in Christ, being holy. Verse 4, even before, the found, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy. That word holy literally means sacred, it means pure, it means blameless, has to do with being consecrated or set apart. Holiness is a decision that affects every area of your life. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 15, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but you must be holy in everything you do, just as God chose you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. Holiness is not an option. It's also a privilege. And if I become a Christian, I'll be bored. No, you won't. It is the most thrilling part of life. Holiness will affect who, where you go, who you're with, what you do. It'll affect your words, your time, your money, your attitude. It'll affect everything. Because the ultimate purpose in this is to be united in, with Christ. This came out of Reuters, New York, Reuters a number of years ago. It says, people who need a new kidney need to know, look no further than across the dining room table. According to a new study that shows spouses are a good potential source for so-called living unrelated organ donation. Due to a worldwide shortage of organ available for transplant from people who have died, living organ donors have become a major source of organ transplants such as kidneys and things. Well, and while a well-matched donor may come from a sibling, a parent, or another close relative, is the highest, high, highest likelihood of surviving in the recipient, there is also evidence that organs from a living, unrelated donor, such as a spouse, yield similar survival rates for those who are well-matched, living Unrelated donors. That's a fascinating thing to me. I remember John Gooding telling me about this years and years ago. That when you're united in marriage, the two become one. Now, there's, you know, that's physically, spiritually, financially, all sorts of, socially, all sorts of things. You know, you, you meet couples, especially if you meet them after they're married, you didn't know them single. You then can't imagine them without their spouse. But this actually happens inside us too. That's a fascinating understanding. What God wants to do when you're united in Christ, you become like Christ. Especially on the inside. Romans chapter 8 
And now we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to be like his son, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Having and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them the right standing with himself. And having him given him the right standing, he also gave them his glory. God's plan of redemption. Verse 3, we are united with Christ. Verse 5, God adopted us into his family through Jesus Christ and gave us. Sin separates us from God. Sin changes us. That's why creatures become like they are. And sin looks attractive because you're separated from Christ, His love, His holiness. But God wants to draw you and can change you. Peter changed in a moment of time, falls to his knees, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Paul, a killer... Christian killing, arresting, meets Jesus and is changed. One mark of this scripture that that amazes me, always does, is the term in verse 6, or verse 5, this he wanted to do because it gave him great pleasure that you are God's great pleasure if you have children if you're blessed and have grandchildren you know they give you great pleasure are they perfect mine are not They can be little troublemakers. They can be little terrorists. But they give you great pleasure. Uh, You know, all of my, well, not my youngest grandchild, because he's only seven weeks old, but the other three give me great pleasure. That's how God looks at you. Are you perfect? No. But when a soul gets saved and says that heaven rejoices. Psalms 149 verse 4. For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Zephaniah 3 and verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. You're the reason he died. Jesus looked down eternity. And why did he endure the cross, despising the shame? Because of your redemption. He rejoices. Had that I actually took my mother out for 
New Year's today, and we were, my wife and I and my mother were joking, and my wife said something about her giving birth to me, and I said, well, you know, I wouldn't want to do that. They both mocked me as a man. They said, no, you wouldn't want to do that at all. And I actually agree with them, at all, at all. But isn't it amazing that they go through, women, and I mean mothers, they go through that, they, the, the pain, you know, the, the, all that's involved there. And then they make that statement to their husband. Let's have another. Because there's just something about that pleasure. There are things, of course, we can do to encourage the pleasure of God. One, Ephesians 4.18, at this moment I have all that I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me with Ephroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. The mark of when Jesus was getting baptized. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now Jesus was perfect. But he looks at us with delight. You're not a problem for God. You're a delight to God. This should cause you to praise him. Verse 6 So we praise God for the glorious grace which he has poured out upon us who belong to his dear sons. You know, one of the marks of salvation is praise. You know, people come in and they see us and they hear the songs and then we break into praise and some are like, what the headache is that? They would go to a Buffalo Bills game And scream their head off. No problem. Or a concert. Or a rally of whatever. But to do that in church? Well, that's because one, God saved us. But it should be a natural flow of those of who are saved. And let me just add this. Just a little... Aside, one of the first marks that you see in someone who's backsliding, they stop praising God. It's just a little interesting mark. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, The message version of that says, But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be God's holy people, God's instruments to do His work, and to speak out for Him, to tell others night and day the difference He made for you. Declaring the goodness of God. Psalms 22 verse 3 Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, the praises of of your people. You read the book of Revelation, 
And people say, well, I don't understand a lot of it, and there's symbology there, and, there's, and we may do a study on that. I'm actually tempted to do a kind of a general 10-week study on the book of Revelation and, and try to bring some clarity so that you're not as afraid of the book as a lot of people are. But that being said, one of the things that is clear is that we're going to praise God when we get to heaven. Revelation 4 and 5, John's just seeing the whole picture of heaven. And he said, I looked again and I heard a thousand and a million, uh, voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne. And the living beings and the elders, and they sang a song, the um, song in a, a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne to the lamb forever and ever. God's purpose. You're chosen in Christ. And again, I'm not going Calvinist, but there is the truth that you're here because God chose you. The purposes that he has for you, the desire and the plan and all that he intends to do, the fascinating understanding Ephesians 1 6. So we praise God for the glorious grace. That word grace, of course, many would describe it as undeserved favor, and that's a good proper way, but it also means the divine, and this comes from Strong's dictionary, the divine influence upon the heart. It is the reflection in the life, including gratitude, and other things. As we go into a new year, what has God chosen you for? What is God's purpose for you? There's the long term, I understand that. And then there's the, well, God has a purpose next year. A plan for the next months. What could that be? Who could you reach? What could you do? What could God inspire you? What could, what could be involved in that? What could God do with you if you'd simply receive His love, contend for His holiness, to be more like Christ? I can tell you God has great, great, great plans. I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for your life, says God. They are plans of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You've come this, more, this evening. Maybe you're not right with God. Sin ruins lives. Sin destroys everything it touches, money, relationships, minds, bodies. 
Sin just destroys everything. Because we're missing the mark. That's not... And then people will blame God. Oh, well, well, yeah, God's so good. Why did this happen? Well, God, you chose. You, you made that choice. God chose you, but you missed the mark. That's not on God. That's on you. That's on me. That's on every person on earth. We chose sin. But God, in His mercy, sent Jesus Christ to die, shed His blood, that you and I can be forgiven. The mercy, the love, the kindness, the redemption of God is all shown in Jesus. And God will deal with your... He'll knock. He will not force, but He will knock and knock and knock to get your attention. And maybe you're here this evening, you're not right with God, but God's knocking on your heart. He's dealing with you. You may not understand all that is going on in this service, but you do understand one thing, you're not right with God and you need to get right. If that's you, I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, pray for me. I'm not right with God. I need to get my heart right with Jesus Christ. Anyone at all, very quickly. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you turned from the purposes of God. You had it at one time, you turned away. You need to come back to Jesus. You'd slip up your hand very quickly. Pray for me. I need to get my heart right with God anyone at all very quickly we're going to move on in just a moment we're not going to embarrass you we just want to lead you in a simple prayer introduce you to Jesus very quickly changing the call then to Christians God loves you are you contending for his love holiness to be more like Christ If you're in the love of God, then the, anything God asks of you or from you or things you go through, they're just worth it for Him. Because it's not about us at that point, then it's about Him. The love of God is what compels us. We judge this. We love Him. Let's all stand. Open up these altars. Allow you to find a place to pray. Make this a time where you're going to set things that, you know what, next year it's going to be different. We're going to just a handful of hours away. Let's worship God. Lord, we need your grace and mercy.
give Him praise. Let's worship Him.